Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for hardcore church planting. Go hardcore, go home. (laughs) I love it. All right, so Peyton, introduce today's guest. Yeah, so today we have uh, David Achade. He is a church planner with Soma Communities. He has trained up north with uh, the man, Jeff Vanderstelt, and come down south, and he is now in San Clemente, California, starting missional community there. He also happens to be a personal friend and a regular contributor uh, to a lot of the stuff that we do. He's uh, You've written a, an article for us for uh, Church Planner Magazine, right? That's right. Or did I imagine A couple that? of them. <laughs> you you've been imagining that I'd write more for you. Uh, uh, probably, but uh, <laughs> hey, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. So tell All me, right, uh, David, as, as we get started here, one of the questions we always like to start out with is uh, asking our guests if they can tell us, you know, their their journey to faith, how it got started, uh, how they got started, rather. Um, in uh, in church planning and you know all the way from uh from you know how they grew up to becoming a christian and and so on and so forth so tell us a little bit about your story yeah so um i was raised in tennessee uh in the woods with rednecks basically uh my closest neighbors were about 10 acres away and they were cows um but uh, i did grow up in a christian school uh my family put me through christian schools but honestly, I never really paid attention to it very much. And, um, you know, went through some turbulent uh, experiences in my childhood and uh, some crazy things happening in our family and then divorce eventually with my parents. And um, I'd also gotten involved in some kind of uh, wild living and risky uh, extracurricular activities. <laughs> and um, basically what happened was... Um, I, there was a group of guys at a local Christian college that um, kind of took me under their wing and, and they started hanging out with me and my friends. And um, without realizing it, um, I, I was being shown what the gospel looked like when it was acted out. And um, these guys invited me and my friends as high school students with them, with their college student friends out on uh, weekends to go camping, to hang out, just do normal things together. And um, then when I hit about 17, 18 years old, uh, my life, I think, got um, to the place where I realized I was really at a dead end. And um, what happened was uh, I had a pretty intense come to Jesus moment. And um, there's so many details and I'd love to tell, but I'm just not going to put it all in because um, it, like there's so many other things that I want to talk about today, but this is of course one of the most important moments in my life where I, I just prayed. Uh, I said, uh, God, I, like my life is a dead end. It's going nowhere. I'll do anything. 
if you will come into me, you'll make your home in me, and you will let me live for you. Because living for myself is not going anywhere. And, um, and you know, I came to understand at that moment that what it meant to receive the Spirit was to receive new desires inside of you. Because my desires for people's approval of me, um, for, uh, you know, partying with friends, or, you know, girls, all those things, um, they ceased to be in the primary spot. And um, pretty much what happened was within the course of just a few weeks, like I lost my desires for a lot of things that ruled me before. And I just became an evangelist and started talking about Jesus like crazy. And um, before I knew it, what happened was um, I was in theology school. Um, I worked uh, 10 years as a, as a vocational pastor and um, that will, I'll put it on pause right there because I think that might segue us into the next uh, part of the conversation. All right. Well, besides your dangerous uh, extracurricular activities, I, <laughs> I remember at one time you were a naked fry cook. That's always a bad combination. But, uh, <laughs> as, as far as your, um, yeah, okay. So let's, let's, let's head into that. How did you get into uh, church planning? Yeah, so what happened was, um, you know, I'd always had a passion for people who were hurting and who were on the outside, who um, were, um, they weren't believers in Jesus. They were believers in something else, you know, believers in the opinions of other people and their job and their ability to consume alcohol. You know, like it, we're all following something. And um, what happened was after being a pastor for about 10 years, um, what happened was I caught myself, uh, kind of bored. You know, I, I was working at a big church in Orlando, Florida. I was running a lot of programs, doing a lot of things. People were coming to the Lord and it was really good. Um, but what happened was, um, I'd had some neighbors that started becoming believers and I just came to the realization that I couldn't connect them to my church because, um, though my church had a lot of great people in it and they loved Jesus and the gospel was being presented, um, I knew that if I connected these new believing neighbors to my church, I was helping pastor, that they would be told that their ministry was to help uh, get cars parked or to help hand out programs or to help set up chairs. And those things, I think, they need to happen, especially when churches get to a certain size. We need to have people volunteer their time to, to do those things. But I knew that, um, that the plan of, of God was far greater than somebody handing out pamphlets and setting up chairs. And um, so that really, really stirred in my heart, like something's going to have to change about my life. Because um, my whole existence up to that point since coming to faith had been working professional ministry jobs, whether it was with youth groups or whether it was as a, as a vocational minister like everything about my life was getting people to come to our programs, to come to our Bible studies and our church services and our family nights and, you know, those things. And, um, and I just realized when I looked at these new believer neighbors of mine, that if they connected with all that stuff, they wouldn't have any capacity to actually be the church to their non-believing friends and their non-believing neighbors. And so what happened was I ended up at um, some church planning conferences and, there was an old guy I met at an exponential conference in Orlando. I think it was in 2010. His name was George Patterson. He wrote a book called um, Church Multiplication Guide. I met him at a, um, at a uh, workshop 
and he kind of took me under his wing and he mentored me and another friend for a couple months and he basically schooled me on how to um, work with my neighbors to disciple them and to send them to make disciples of their neighbors and their non-believing friends. So I watched some of these guys begin to learn what it was like to disciple their families, to love their wives like Christ loved them, and to reach out to the people they were already connected to. And so, uh, you know, all these things were going on. Super rich experiences were happening in my neighborhood. And um, I still was very pulled, you know, between running my, uh, my vocational ministry job and doing the things that I began to really, like, I, I just was so passionate just to hang out with my neighbors. And I, I found myself thinking that I'd rather be in a neighborhood than, um, than in my corner office in downtown Orlando, making email, making phone calls and, and sending emails and running team meetings. And, um, and so we began to uh, start to pray a prayer. Uh, God, give us one open door and we'll walk through it. We don't know where we're going to go or what we're going to do, but we know we need to start over. So, and we don't even know what that looks like. So give us just one open door and we'll walk through it. And what happened was um, uh, within the next few months, we actually got two open doors. Um, door number one was I found out about the field of executive coaching um, at the time, I was uh, a part of a church that was connected to a hospital system. And so I'd done a lot of time with hospital executives and leaders. And I began to talk to them about executive coaching, like, man, maybe I could do this and make some money. And they affirmed that they could see me doing it and that they might even help me get started if I get the training. So I went after it, just began praying, you know, I need some money. Amen. And, and honestly, things started happening. Like, like money started coming in the mail. People would say, I don't, I don't know what you're going, going through, David, but I feel like we need to help. And wait, so some money wait. And, uh, what, what was that prayer again? I want to write that one down. <laughs> God, I need some money. Amen. <laughs> wow. Now, who the to pray about it? Wow. I, I hear a new <laughs> prayer of Jabez book coming out from David Achata. <laughs> Are you, are you one of these crazy Holy spirit people where like, you actually like, you kind of believe this whole God thing might be true. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that Peyton, because, um, I don't think I used to be, I, I, I think that's only happened to me in the last four years. Um, and, and this was the beginning of it, this story, because I read a lot of this stuff in storybooks like, Oh yeah. And I always thought these people are embellishing. Like they're, they're embellishing. This stuff doesn't really happen to, to be normal people. And, um, and, and before I knew it, I, I received all this money and obviously wasn't of my doing. I'd gotten all this training. Um, and I was like, God, you've equipped me like with work. You've equipped me with training. You've equipped me with clients. So I started a business and then I had the whole, um, you know, I'm still working my vocational ministry job. Um, and so we began to just, you know, continue to pray that prayer. We need one open door. We don't know where to go or what to do. And what happened was um, we uh, uh, got connected with, through a mutual friend with a church planning um, uh, acquaintance that lived in Vancouver, Washington, named Sam McKee at a church called Epicos. And, and um, we heard they were reaching a lot of people. And so we took a trip out there to see what they were doing. And we're really taken by it. And uh, Sam and the team there said, hey, why don't you move out here and join us for a year and we'll pour some of our time into you and we'll equip you to, to plant churches. And, um, and, but we don't have any money to pay you, so you have to figure that one out. And again, I was just getting started with my coaching work because I didn't really have much money at all. Anyway, and so we were kind of uh, discouraged, like, oh, there's no job for us. There's no way for us to get there. 
And we got a call um, a few weeks later that, that from Sam, and he said, hey, a guy who heard your story, um, he wants to help you. Uh, you don't know him, but he felt convicted that he should help you. And so he's, just so you know, he's going out today to buy you a house. And um, oh, Okay, you let, can now, this time let me stop you. Um, uh, do you have his telephone number? And if not, does he have a sister? And and what was the prayer you were using at that's that time? That's not for a wife. That's just, that's just you know, the cartoon question. For, I, I want to know the prayer he was using for that one. Well, here's the funny thing, guys, and I really want everyone who listens to get this one. Um, you know, Jesus says, if you're faithful with a few things, you'll be entrusted with more. And if you're not faithful with what you have, then even what you have is going to get taken away. And that's pretty intense. And um, that was really the prayer I was praying. Give, me, give us one open door. That was the one thing behind it. And um, I thought, you know what? This is, I told my wife, you're never going to believe this. we got a free house if we can get there for a year. And um, so we were like, you know what? This is our open door. And if we're not faithful with this, we're not going to get more. And so we said, you know what? We're going to trust you, Jesus, and we're going to go after this with our whole heart. And so we short sold our house, uh, which was upside down. We paid two hundred sixty thousand for it. We could only sell it for one hundred thirty. So we lost all the money we'd put into it, over one hundred thousand dollars. Walked away from my ministry job, the health insurance, all those things, and we basically moved across the country to Vancouver, Washington, where we sat in a house and. Uh, got humbled for a year, helped out with this church plant, and um, worked on building my business. So that's kind of phase one of the journey. Um, and there's a lot more, but I'll stop there for now. You guys got any questions or, or funny comments on that? <laughs> yes. Um, so there you go again with that, like, God is real stuff. Um, that's right. You know, you're you're going you're gonna to confuse our, our listeners who, you know, uh, I think there's a silver bullet secret formula, and uh, no, I'm teasing, of course. Um, no, but that, that's so that's so important. Until you put yourself, and many church planners, they have to be in the position where they are desperate and where uh, they really need the Holy Spirit to turn up before they start asking yeah. them. And once they do, um, then they start going, "Oh my gosh!" But until you put yourself out in that risky place. Um, until you start yeah. living like a missionary, you don't actually start seeing the missionary provision that Jesus yeah. promised his followers. When he sends yeah. out the, the 72, he tells them, doesn't he? Hey, you're you're going out this mission field, but like so many mission trips, it ends up being more about what God does to the missionary than mm -hmm. actually going out and changing the world. He changes you first. And part yeah. of that is you go out and you learn to depend on him. How else? How else could you see things done? So that's an important part of yeah. the development, I think, of any church planner. But one of the reasons yeah. I have you on here today, David, is that we wanted to talk to you, Pete and I, about uh, this particular burden that you have, um, which you have contacted me uh, and said, hey, I want to write an article. And I thought it'd be good to have you on here today to actually talk about it uh, so that our listeners can hear this burden. Because you've, you've had a, a really interesting development. You know, you're you're mixing with guys who are dealing with a lot of money and a lot of responsibility in the corporate world. And yeah. that, you know, that can be a little bit of an ego stroke. And mm -hmm. you've, you've been kind of caught between these two worlds where on one hand, you're also in a missional community, which is never yeah. going to put you on the back cover of a book or, you know, uh, give you fame in front of millions of church planners. 
but you have your the way that God has used that unique position to give you uh, uh, kind of this character uh, reformation. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your particular passion and burden right now for that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a few minutes of background, and I'll tell you, you know, it's really about me coming to understand that my identity in Christ um, is what he's most concerned about. I mean, yes, he wants to make disciples through me, but he wants to make me his disciple. (laughs) And um, what happened, you know, the next chapter of the story was um, uh, we really appreciate our time in Vancouver and, um, but felt like, you know, like God wanted to still teach us something else that wasn't in Vancouver. And so we ended up meeting the guys up in Tacoma at Soma and um, they invited us to move up there and, and learn from what they were doing. And um, so we did. So we went ahead and moved up to Tacoma. We started making enough money to pay rent somewhere. Um, and it was, you know, my, my work was starting to turn around. I, I'd gone from making no money, being on government assistance to working uh, corporate workshops, making five, ten thousand $10,000 at a time. I got a job working as an organizational health consultant. Um, I was making a lot of money. I was employing a few guys. I was even just, just using the time to disciple them. It was, it was a super awesome time. And um, But then what happened one day, uh, a couple months into my time in Tacoma, was the work just went away. And I was trying to get more contracts and other things, and it just stopped. And um, what happened was uh, we just said, oh, well, it's a God thing. We use this time to like engage more fully here in our time in Tacoma. And um, uh, the money just didn't come back. And we got to the place where um, I had calculated, like we were going to run out of every penny we had, like in about two months. And um, so I'm freaking out, trying to send out fundraising emails, trying to do something. Like I'm really trying to strong arm this financial situation. And I'm interviewing for jobs. Nobody wants to hire me. Everybody's confused by my resume. Like, what? You're a pastor? What? You're a business owner? What? You've done this? You did Like, why are you applying here? And it kind of culminated when I got a, I got a job interview for a security guard <laughs> at a high school. <laughs> and um, it was, I got the, the opportunity through a mutual friend. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It's like 10 bucks an hour. But if I work it full time, like maybe I'll get some health insurance for my family and, you know, we'll, we'll take what God gives us. And um, in the week surrounding that interview, the Lord and I really wrestled uh, together and uh, he prevailed. <laughs> I survived. He prevailed. Um, and basically, um, I was just angry. And I was like, God, what have you done? Like, I'm going to be stuck working a job as a security guard. What happened to these church planning things you've called me to? And the spirit just whispered to me, David, you're a called disciple maker. Do you not think you can make disciples in a security guard? And um, then it occurred to me, and it was like the lights came on, that though I believed that every member was a minister um, in my head, in my heart, I didn't think it was true. Because I thought if I didn't have that professional clergy job, then I wasn't somehow significant or I wasn't somehow um, doing real, quote, real work for the kingdom. And it was when I realized that even a security guard can make disciples that it really clicked in my heart that I had an identity issue. I thought my identity was wrapped up in whether it was my important job as a business owner, as an executive coach, as a consultant, as a pastor. Um, I realized at that moment that actually when all those things are stripped away, my bank account was empty. I had no option except to work as a security guard that I was loved anyway. 
and that God approved of me anyway because of the work of Jesus. And like Martin Luther says, um, that Jesus' merits, Jesus' status is all donated to me as, a, as his son, as his disciple, as his follower. And, um, and, I, and I, I, like I wrote that um, you know, a while ago, Peyton, because I read your, you know, some of your article, your, your issue on uh, being bivocational. And, um, and I thought, you know, I think the real reason that a lot of guys who work ministry jobs who may feel called to church planting, the reason they don't do it is because, well, first of all, they're worried about providing for their family. But second of all, they're worried, I think, many times unaware that they won't be important anymore. And, you know, when you're on a stage, people are high-fiving you after your sermons, they're hugging you, they're telling you that you're so important to their spiritual growth. Like, that's addicting, you know, that's, that's, and, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens in our heart, you know, our heart kind of turns an idol into it. Like, man, if I don't have that every week, then, you know, like, like, what would I be if I don't have that? And that's been my journey over the last few years is learning. I could work a job as a security guard. I could work a job cleaning gutters. I could do all these things that somehow a lot of people think are insignificant. I could still make disciples and God would still work on my heart. And by the way, I have had to work some of those jobs and it's been okay. And I've survived and God has cared for us. So that's been my burden, and there's a lot to say about that. But I just want to encourage the guys who are listening who might be feeling called to church plant. You're not the provider for your family. Um, God is. Um, health insurance is not what keeps you healthy. It's God. Um, and when it comes to your status, it's not dependent on your ministry job. It's dependent on the work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you are indeed being called to uh, be a church planner, um, then uh, you got to trust and believe and be grounded in some of those things or else your heart's going to get all jacked up because you won't have enough money. You won't have enough status. But I think when guys can get grounded in that, they can be content to just hang out in the neighborhood, not idolize their church plant, not idolize what their people think of them, not idolize how fast they grow, but they can just be content to walk the path that God has laid out for them. Absolutely. And I think if you even kind of uh, think about this from the perspective of, let's say a guy, you know, he, he's church planning and he becomes, whether he's the, the, the leader of a series and strings of missional communities and he's, he's the head of a movement, or he becomes the head of a, a church that's grown to size or, or whatever it is, right? Because there's that whole battle raging about, you know, how church ought to be and the mega church guys a sell out and the mission, but the missional community guy faces the same problem. You can become successful, quote unquote, in just about any walk of life. And here's the deal is if you don't deal with exactly what you're saying, um, when you feel like a failure, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come into that area and minister to you and tell you, it's not about that. It's about me. It's about Jesus. It's about my son. Sure. And it's about the people he bled and died for. Then, unfortunately, you're not ready for success. And I think a lot of times that's what happens is guys who haven't had those periods of going through the crucible and going through the fire, um, they're not ready for uh, any kind of, of fame or accolades or quote unquote success because the, the beast of ego hasn't been slain yet. And that beast mm-hmm. will only grow bigger 
as your numbers grow bigger or your followers grow more or whatever. And I, and I hate to use those terms, but like I said, whether it's missional community or mega church, it's the same issue because we're dealing with the human heart and the human heart will slip in and out of this as often as it possibly can, because it does not want to be crucified. And that's what you're describing. You're literally describing a crucifixion of the flesh where it's like Jesus turning to Peter and going, Hey, flesh and blood doesn't turn you onto these things. This has to yeah. be the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, Peyton, that, you know, some of those things you said have, have been um, key in helping us be settled and be okay to do what we're doing now and move at the pace we're moving. Um, you know, so right, right now we're in San Clemente. Uh, we've been coming here off and on for about three years and had a number of families that asked us to come here and help them plant missional communities, which is pretty cool because it clearly wasn't my idea. They wanted us to come here, so we did. And, um, you know, we, we met people off and on in the neighborhood, in the city, who wanted who want to like, be involved in what we're doing. And, um, you know, there's this one, one family that's joined us. They're super great, um, really grown to know them and love them like family. And um, what happened, though, was he wanted to know, like, when are you meeting? Like, when can we join him when you're meeting? And I said, well, like, hold on a second. Like, that's kind of second base, <laughs> you know. But we haven't even gotten to first base together yet. <laughs> so I, I don't want you to be deceived if, into thinking that if you joined my teaching, that you joined a church. Your missional community sounds a little too intense because I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to get to first base or second base with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what I was telling them was, you know, something I learned so well from my friend Jeff uh, Vanderstelt was, you know, that we've wrongly defined the church as an event that you go to rather than a family you belong to. And, um, and I was telling him that and I was saying, you know, we got to start with eating food together and getting our families together. Because if we can't eat food together, then we can't be family. And if we can't be the family, we can't be the church. And so, like, let's hold off on this meeting stuff. And let's just start getting our families together to do things that we're doing already. So we began to get our families together, get to know each other, and they pressed in and they continued to pursue us. And we thought, you know, these might be the right people to help join some of our core families. And um, and so, you know, right now, including children, there's about 20 of us just starting. And there's other people on the fringes that are, I think, are wanting to join. But I'm kind of holding it back for a little bit because, again, like, the old me might have said, like, let's see how many people we can add into the room. Um, but the newer version of me is content to be small for a while, like Jesus. Yeah. Hey, let's let's go on field trips together. Let's do life together. You know, like this weekend, for instance, we're going out to the beach um, and we're inviting some neighbors and we're just going to hang around and get to know each other's stories. And um, I'm just trying to help our people see in real time, kind of like Jesus did with his disciples, um, you know what? Everything matters. The way that we go to our kids' volleyball games, the way that we go to the park, the way that we eat, the way that we work, the way that we hang out with each other when we watch football, it all counts for the kingdom. And so we're doing that together, and um, I'm pretty excited. You know, I think that I think we'll know in God's timing when the right time is to begin to add more people to our core who are believers going to work this out. God's already given us favor with a lot of people who aren't believers in our neighborhood. We've been throwing some parties, having some good times, but I'm just content to move at the pace that God uh, God has given me the opportunity to move at without moving too quick, but to kind of uh, uh, work into the ground 
um, the right ingredients that I think will make for healthy growth in the long run. David, uh, let me ask you, first of all, let me just say one of the most profound statements I think I got out of uh, this interview was when you said, I can make disciples as a security guard. Like, mm -hmm. to me, that's a, that's a really profound statement because it really identifies what we're called to do as Christians and, um, and, yeah. and what our actual job is. And so often, like you said, you know, we see ourselves as, oh, I'm the coach, I'm the executive, I'm the pastor, I'm this or I'm that. No, really, we're a child of God who's been called to make disciples. And yeah, we yeah. can do that anywhere. And I think that's, yeah. that's a really profound statement that I'm, I'm so glad you shared because that's, that's the takeaway that, that I'm getting from mm -hmm. that. But let me ask you something else. Um, when you meet guys who come to you and they're like, hey, look, I'm going to be a church planner. You know, what's, what's your advice for them? Like, uh, how does that conversation go? What do you tell them as far as like, you know, what they should be looking for or, or, I mean, cause you've reached that position now where you've done a lot and guys come to you and they ask you, Hey, I'm thinking about yeah. planting a church. What should be my next steps? Besides talk yeah. to Peyton. <laughs> <laughs> well, first step number one is talk to Peyton Jones. Step number two is talk to Pete Mitchell. Um, get church zero, get of course. <laughs> get church. And, and by that time, let's let's be honest, David. By that time, they won't need to talk to you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's when I say, you know, like I drop the phone. Like that's it. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But um, no, my advice. I, I tell them actually what C.S. Lewis says that if you want to get warm, you've got to get near the fire. And um, I'll tell them. Uh, start thinking and looking around who has what you want and go get close to them and learn from them. Um, I've met a couple of guys in the area who want to plant missional communities, who want to plant churches. And I'll tell them that like, man, you've got to do the hard work to get humble and become a follower of somebody who's doing it for a short season before you can do it yourself. Um, and uh, that's, that's been so key for me. I mean, my goodness, I worked as a pastor for 10 years before I quit and went and had to sit around and live on government assistance. And that season for me was so formative in my heart. And then when I thought I'd be done a year into it, I had to do two more years of sitting under the teaching and the guidance of some other great, you know, humble men of God. And it was so, so, so good for me. So I had to get close to the people who had what I was after and learn from them and like really take that time to get your head on straight. You know, like I was talking to a guy the other day who took a couple months off work because he wasn't doing well. And he was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going back in. And I was like, don't you think you need some more time? He said, well, I've taken three months. And I said to him, um, brother, like it took me three years to get my head back on straight from coming off the professional ministry hangover. And, um, you know, after three years, I felt like, man, I was at a place where I could humbly move in and be settled in who I was and who God had made me to be. But I don't think I could have had that unless I'd had those three years being around men who had walked the path before me and who were doing, honestly, what I wanted to do. Because sometimes I talk to guys who want to do something like a certain kind of ministry, but they themselves haven't done it or been around anybody who's done it. And, you know, God will bless that um, because he's gracious. And we're, if we're working out the gospel, he's going to bless that. But like, you know, I've got another little axiom. You know, sometimes God blesses not because we're right, but because he's gracious. 
Mm, and it would be really, it'd be really good for guys to get some good time with people who've gone before them. And that would help them get, you know, work through their heart issues because they'd have to become a follower and work again and work through their own gospel things. And then they would be able to lead again, I think. So that would be my, you know, top tier advice is get close to the person who has what you want. Take some time to get settled in, in your identity in Christ before you launch out to do any great things for the kingdom. Or what happens is you basically end up recreating what you came from and you make a lot of mistakes and yeah, God's going to use it, but man, wouldn't it be better if you did it his way by learning to be humble, learning to receive grace, learning who you were in him so that you could go out and you could really actually serve the people. He's called you to serve instead of kind of what happened for me at least is yeah. I probably would just gone out and serve my own ego, you know, like, all right, I'm going to create something else so I can be awesome. And, um, so yeah, those are just some of the pieces of advice I, I give yeah. that are really helpful to me. Well, man, Hey, you know what? That is valuable. We could have you on like we tell all of our guests because we we've been doing these little, uh, interviews and we're feeling with every single guest that there's more, there's more that we're, we're just getting started that we can, you know, kind of get out of the can here, but, uh, we'll, we'll call you back and we'll have our spoon and we'll get the last little bit out of there, but thank <laughs> you for coming on and we appreciate you, man. Appreciate your heart. Appreciate what you shared with the guys. And this has been David Achada. David, if they want to either book you as a corporate coach or as uh, a guy to come train for missional communities, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, if you're looking for coaching uh, through your company, I do a couple of I do some coaching here in Orange County with some pretty big um, clients. And you can what just website, my website go to. It's AchataCoaching.com. A C H A T A Coaching.com. There's a contact page on there. Um, and then also, um, I do some coaching for missional communities and churches of missional communities through the Soma family of churches at wearesoma.com. There is a, a resource, uh, there's a teaching page on there. We do something called missional community consulting. And if you do like do a Google search for Soma missional community consulting, you'll find a way to get into that kind of program there. And that'd be a great way for us, for me to be helpful. And that'd be also a great way to support the work we're doing here in um, Orange County and San Diego County also. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, this has been uh, David Achata on Hardcore Church Planning with Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell. And uh, if you're in the San Clemente area and you want to join his missional community, you're going to have to take him out for dinner first, get to know his family, and then you might right, be able to come day. along with him. So, hey, this is uh, Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold, take it. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.